Welcome to a special Mentality Podcast series called Mate Therapy. Mate Therapy came about during lockdown when we were only allowed to meet up with one person for a walk outside. Right, Laffer? <laughs> I'd meet up with John Bell. And now, John isn't your typical type of mate. Yes, he is your bald-headed, tattooed-covered, Alan Partridge-loving type of guy. One that you'd definitely go for a beer with, but... On top of that, you know that I love to speak about my feelings. There's the added bonus that he is a therapist. For me, at that time, I was having to deal with a brain injury and the ever-looming knowledge that I was going to have to retire from professional sports at 27 years old. Many times, I'd meet with John and I'd feel heavy. I'd feel certain of my misery. I'd feel unconfident and I'd judge myself all the time. And at times I'd wonder, that question that we've all wondered at some point in our lives, why me? Chatting with John cleared up those thoughts and emotions that kept me stuck and unhappy. I'm lucky enough to have John Bell as a mate. The downside is that I can't have him as a counsellor, but you guys could. During this podcast series, we are inviting you into the types of mate therapy that I got with John during the pandemic. A lot of the times men think that therapy is opening a can of worms. This podcast series will show you that it isn't. And I hope that you guys benefit from feeling a weight lifted. And maybe you think, oh, it's not just me that feels like this or thinks like this. Or maybe you thrive off the deep conversations like us. As George Bernard Shaw said, those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. As always, these podcasts are for you. Listen, give us feedback, share with someone that you think would benefit. And if you believe in what we do at Mentality, rate the podcast because this helps us continue breaking the stigma on an even bigger scale. And without further ado, I bring you my old mucker, John Bell. Yes, Jonathan, how are you doing, my son? Very well, Steve Boy. Yes, I am good. Good to be with you. Good to see you, my friend, my therapist, almost. Not allowed, that, is it? Can't do that. Can't we surf a fine line, but ethically, for the record, we do okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it, mate. I, uh, so I'm coming at you from New York. You're, uh, you're stuck in Old York, is that right? I'm in Old York, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's fine, mate. That's fine, but... This has come at a good time for me, mate. This has come at a good time for me because I've had the surf the wave of coming to New York and feeling like everything's class. The world is amazing. And um, the opportunities here are incredible, meeting some amazing people. But a few days, a couple of days, I've been slipped into the hole that I can slip into sometimes um, in terms of feeling like I'm a piece of shit. Not you know, yeah. not in a bad, not in a bad way. I don't, I don't. I'm not a piece of shit to other people, but it's a theme that I sometimes slip into. You know, over these last two years, with the head injury and with just going through change and transition. Um, so having your friendly face pop up on Zoom and uh, be there for me is good if this is a solution I am extraordinarily <laughs> concerned about the problem but thank you very much. <laughs> yeah I know I know <laughs> well you're doing well mate you're doing well I guess that's why um, people come to see you and it, and it works yeah um, just simply seeing anyway. <laughs> exactly 
So, uh, yeah, so, mate, great, great to see you. And um, this podcast is a few different things that I want to chat about. And I think it makes sense to dive in at change and transition and, and what that means and what that is for people. You've been through it recently, changing into becoming a full-time therapist and transitioning into that life. But change comes in everything, doesn't it? Change comes in relationships, breakups, old jobs, comes mm. in losing faculties, losing, you know, being able to play a game, being able to to walk properly, being able to to do anything that, that I guess wasn't, you know, is is not the same as what, what you were before. So um, yeah. how do you look at change as, as a therapist? How do you look at change as someone who might help people through a process of transition? I think the really important thing to establish at the beginning of any sort of change is whether that change is, is by choice or by force. Mm. And so people have had to go through change that they didn't ask for versus change that they absolutely wanted to be part of, wanted to be involved in. It's really, it's really important because, you know, I, I work with a variety of clients for whom change is all kinds of different things depending on their circumstances. And as you talk, I was thinking like clients, I, I work with gay clients on a number of occasions were coming out coming out to their family. Change is extraordinarily exciting and, and, and nerve-wracking and euphoric and anxiety-driving and all those different kind of things. And then, you know, as human beings, we've got a huge ability to normalise. You, you guys are just over in New York. Yeah, you have that absolute wonderful euphoric moment of possibility and, and awakening. Mm -hmm. And then we normalise it. And I think mm -hmm. there's a huge amount to be said before we get into change here yeah, about that anticlimactic feeling. Mm. about that yeah. wow great but we cannot run on that kind of adrenaline because it's not normal we'll have, we'll have a heart attack mm. <laughs> uh. you know you know not every day is christmas morning and so it's really important to understand that that initial feeling of change particularly if it's self-governed particularly if it's revelatory particularly if we are announcing ourselves to a world or to a possibility or to you know circumstances that hitherto have been outside of our reach and we're going to go out and get it. A couple of things that that euphoria is not going to last forever. And also, let's be honest, apart from us, people only have the capacity to give a limited amount of shit. <laughs> yeah. It's really important. I yeah. learned that living in London. No one cares about you. Get on with your life. No one yeah. will look at you. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. If you don't move, if you don't do something, you will wither yeah. away and die. You know, you used to spend ages in front of the mirror making sure you looked all right. Nicely armoured going to work and you could have walked on the tube with your bits out and no one would have cared because no, <laughs> no, no one's talking to you if you tackle out. So, like, the change in the subjective feelings that you have going through it, it often are very personal. only relate to your own feelings and prejudices and worries about that. Ultimately, a lot of people will have to work really hard to empathise with how you're feeling about it because from the outside looking in, they'll go, that's okay, you can do that. Once again, it comes down to the model of how other people perceive us. If we're a, if we're a rescuer and someone who constantly presents that sense of being in control, it's really hard to be vulnerable and hard to put your hand up and say, I'm finding this really difficult because people have already decided how they're going to see you. Yeah. So going through change is a really important part of that. Surround yourself with people who understand that lived experience, hence therapy. Mm. People go, yeah, all right. I don't know what to do with this. And say, so, yeah, it's okay to feel really, really, really shitty. You're where you're meant to be on any process. You know further forward, you know what you know, you don't know what you don't know. You're going to move forward and you're going to grow. But I think, you know, one of the most frustrating things about change, particularly, particularly when we are trying to change to get rid of a cue, 
and really quite painful circumstances is that we want the pace of change to be commensurate with the pace of horror that came into our life that we want to change away from. When yeah. things are horrible, when we burn ourselves, we move our hand away in the same way when things go wrong in our life, we want to immediately shift to a place of competency and comfort. And that sometimes that shift is not is not easy. And we, 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 we throw our ties out of the pram when that doesn't happen. We do, because we want things immediate. We, you know, it, it's an off-trotted outline that in 2022, we want everything yesterday. And that's quite true. Mm. Patience, patience through change is extraordinarily important, but we've got to be very careful not to rush a process, not to miss bits, not to see ourselves growing and growing and growing and growing throughout something. You know, we, you know, yeah. processes are hard. And working with clients to be patient, to notice their growth, to be grateful throughout change. And it's a bit like the film, The Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, isn't it? You know, the, the whole idea that they're seeking the treasure, but they may not get the treasure that they've actually set out to see. You know, yeah. keep, your eyes open, keep your eyes open on the trail. And you may see things that actually really embolden and, and, and enrich your life in a way that you hadn't initially set out to do. And so whilst that's a bit trite, the end goals don't really evolve, I, I, I don't really exist as much as appreciation and process and growth and confidence do. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's, it's that thing that you mentioned there that I picked up on is, is actually noticing progress and sort of zoning in on things that you actually have and the things that you've managed to overcome, things that you've managed to find through ways that you could never even have imagined. I think, I think you, there is a need to hang on to that and to actually notice it. And, and it's sort of noticing your own progress in your own race rather than looking outside and looking at what things could be and what other people seem to have, what other people are achieving, you know, what, what roles that they're playing. I think it, it, for me in specific over the last few days, and this goes into a, another sort of thing that I wanted to talk about but it's almost like that impossible standard that impossible standard or that that sort of overreaching need and desire to achieve and to become something and to I don't know is it, is it that feeling of completion that that you yeah. that you're desperate to get to yeah it's, it was, I said it before I think I said it on the other part that George Lucas said that no, no film is ever finished it's only abandoned <laughs> and we're kind of the same, you know, show me yeah. completion and show me the metrics by which we're measuring the vast majority of our social competency standards, confidences, you know, and I hear the word should so much in therapy. I should be doing this. Who says? Mm. I need to be doing what other people are doing. How do you know what they're doing? How do you know what they're feeling? We, we seem to be fanatically you know, interested and on top of that, really, really accurate, engaging other people's levels of competencies and standards and abilities, but seemingly completely unaware of what our own successes may be. That can't be right. This yeah. is a bit of a paradox. All right, so you know exactly all the different metrics by which that person is succeeding and you accurately can map out how you're failing. No, you can. You don't know their struggles. You don't. Mm -hmm. The only thing you've got to do is, is work to your own set of things, and that should, you know, the Instagram, social media age, which we talk about and so often trotted out, but it's, it's easy lying in fruit for me to say, yeah, we look at other people's life and we give it a look and we go, it's brilliant. You know, I, I'm super grateful for the life I've got. I'm super grateful for my job, for my partner, for my little girl, for so much. But, but I don't bounce out of every morning and bed every morning with a song. And sometimes, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, sometimes yeah. I don't really want to get up at all. It's this idea that we have to adhere to a standard that, you know, because I have X, I should feel Y. 
And we beat ourselves to fucking pieces with that. We really, really do. Rather than understanding how far we've come, that we're part of a process, we don't forgive ourselves. And this is where we start to get into meanness as well around this as well. They've got it, I haven't. And then, that you know, I, I see this a lot within social groups, that very, very uncomfortable but insidious schadenfreude where people take delight or at least some comfort in other people's downfall. Yeah. That's yeah. some dark, dark stuff. Wow. And, you know, I will work with clients for whom they haven't got a friend in the world that want to see them succeed because there is a, there's an echo chamber of misery and disappointment and people being fed up. So a really huge part of a good change and positive change is surrounded by people who want to see you do well. Yeah, it's very English, that, isn't it? <laughs> very English. It is. It is. Dare I say, slightly Northern, occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look it's at them. Northern English. Look mm. at them farting higher than their ass. How dare yeah. They? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's true, mate. I mean, you know, I've spent time, obviously, in, in America recently, and uh, it's like, it boggles my mind that I speak to people. And, you know, once you get past the, the sort of native New Yorker stance where they, they can't really be ourselves and themselves so they don't want to help you, you know, you have, have a connection with someone. And it's like, do these people really want me to succeed here? You know, do these, are these people really helping me out? Do, do you know, are they, are they that supportive? Like, you, like you've been caught on some sort of like, <laughs> like, like, like TV program where you've been yeah up. that's exactly it that's exactly it and um, I think it's a Ricky Gervais film or I, I can't remember what quite what it is or it might be something he talks about in stand-up but it says you know you drive a Mercedes in America and they'll be asking you how you got there how you did it how did you make it and you drive it around the UK and they'll be ripping off the Mercedes badge you know it's that sort it's that sort of difference um, they're asking you if you nicked it yeah, exactly. Like, where do you get that? <laughs> yeah. can't, well, can't I do that? Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's, it, it is that, and it is sort of the people that you're around enabling you or disabling you, in it, I guess, in yeah, a way. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And, and I'd, rather take, I'd, I'd rather take a quiet, competent mind on myself and go through processes myself than be badly vulnerable. And by that, I mean exposing myself to to perspectives and to input that either wasn't wasn't helpful, was malignant, or often at worst was not interested. You know, if I'm going to go through change, we need our team or we need, or we need to be resolute that it's a good for us and we only need our own. And ultimately we do. The first things first, we need to start with our own sense of right and wrong and our own sense of this is okay. So like when someone comes in then and, and you sat down with them yeah. and they start counselling, What's when they're going through change, or when or they're thinking a lot of things that we've spoken about? Like, how? What's the process? Do you, do you ask? Do you ask? Are you asking them to sort of voice those beliefs, to voice those shoulds, or to voice those failures of reaching a standard that they think, or understanding what they think success is externally? You know, is that is that what you're trying to understand? And then you're just asking them to look at it in a different way? I think it's about stripping back what their definition of change is, really, or their idea of should. I mean, should, should's a dirty word in therapy as far as I'm concerned. It's that, you know, if you should, you could. And if you could, you can. Go do. Go do. We want to understand why you haven't. And it's often stuff around shame or inadequacy, previous traumas and previous experiences. Sometimes we're sitting within cultures or non-permissive cultures um, you know, 
low expectation, having cultures, friendship groups and things like that. It's about separating ourselves, but it's almost come to therapy and it's challenging themselves to change and to feel different. As I said to a lot of clients, I said, you know, whilst being a therapist is not about telling people what to do and is not about pointing out, explicitly pointing out failure and, and saying, how oh, well, it'll be that, then won't it? Mm. People don't come to therapy to have the belly tickled. They're looking for shift. They're looking for shift. The, the, the whole auspices around therapy is for gradual, graded, safe, ethical shift. And so easing clients towards that, as far as I'm aware, but once again, understanding what they want for themselves and, and asking the question, why is this out of your reach, is really important. But, you know, as you were talking there, I was thinking about the sort of terms and conditions of change. People say that change is really scary. But I think something that's really, really an unintended consequence of change is when clients start to go through it, whatever that change may be, whether it's jobs, whether it's relationships, in invariably it's relationship change or questioning relationships. The terms and conditions of change often mean that when you start to grow and start to develop your sense of awareness, sense of self, sense of worth, as I said to you before, authenticity isn't just about empowering speeches. Sometimes we get renewed or even brand new senses of disquiet around our existing relationships and friendships and we understand that things that for a long, long time we've had in our life simply never really served us or certainly didn't serve us to the extent. Once we, once we look through the world with these new eyes around our own worth and our own need and our own interactions and our own reciprocity and the idea that we're only ever 50% of a relationship, any relationship, we're not people-pleasing, we're not rescuing, we're not you know, trying to entreat people to validate us. Suddenly we realise that there needs to be a bit of a clear out here. There needs to be a little of a Marie Kondo type of situation. Yeah. This yeah. is not bringing me joy. I, on top of the change of me moving towards my... Uh, goals and ideas and aspirations I'm actually realizing as a consequence of people not traveling with me not showing me that reciprocity of kindness and concern but also understanding there's an element of toxicities here within these cultures or friendships or relationship dynamics I think I have to make some other little changes it turns yeah. out you wanted me where I was you wanted to understand me and to or, or to not appreciate as the case may be me for who I was, not a growing me, not a developing me. So we often find that a lot of change unintended. The terms and conditions of therapy are as being authentic comes at a price. You're going to, through authentic change, you're going to lose people sometimes mm -hmm. because they want the version that you were. They yeah. know where you are there. You're safe. You're known. And growth for other people, once again, as I said, in those schadenfreude contexts, <laughs> it's it's verboten we're not supposed to grow we're not supposed to get better i've experienced that i've experienced that a number of times you know mm -hmm. as, as long as i was being relatively unsuccessful and fed up with my career and i was at the end of a phone to talk about this that and the other i was known i dead to go and do my own thing and start stepping away from that i had a few awkward conversations where you realize people are not as happy for you as your inner child who you know, runs forward with his work like at primary school where you go, oh, give me a sticker. You know, mate, yeah. like, oh, well, my life's miserable. How dare you grow? Yeah. Sorry. 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 Yeah, got that wrong. Didn't read the room. Mm. You've got to be content with your own sense of growth and your own appreciation of it, ultimately. That's why you did it. Yeah. And we have things dropping off, don't we, all the time. We have things coming in all the time to our lives. And I think we get into the illusion that that things just stay the same and that, you know, that sense of joy that we felt yesterday is going to run through into next week. And, you know, the people that we have around us are always going to be the same. And we're always surprised 
you know, when when things do change around us, when it gets to the point where we need to change, do people put that off? Absolutely, people put it off. I mean, I do. No, Milan needs cutting. And the lawn was there, looked out the window, like, yeah. Mate, completely, we put stuff off because it's about who we are through the process of change. And we often shift from adult to child. We really, really do. You know, the, the, the paratelic, our child, our, re, you know, um, our sense of doing something because it's fun and the process is collaborative and happy and enriching and we and fun and exciting. Yeah. And then the means justifying the ends type of thing, which is telic, which is adult, where often the process is detailed and sometimes a little bit rocky, but we know that the end goal is worth it. It's like going for a run. Although some contrary ass who hears this will go, well, I really enjoy going for a run. <laughs> You're a liar. We never love going for a run. We never love putting our shoes on, but I certainly never have. Um, and I'm prepared, <laughs> I'm prepared to <laughs> make that a consensus view. Um, but we always feel good that we did. That's what that's when we talk about deep winning. Me and the Dr. Pippa Grange talks about this. This deep winning that we're investing beyond the, the immediate, beyond the that dopamine quick fix, shallow winning immediate. As we talked about change, what change to be quick in order to facilitate esteem and looking good and feeling good and you know pretending sometimes in some cases that everything's okay when it's not that's a shallow win we use the material objects around us to do that and we heighten and emphasize and, and emphasize those things in love of the fact that sometimes you feel a little bit empty deep winning is going beyond that and saying you're all right i'm gonna run for the next six months and for the first two months it's gonna suck month yeah. three might be all right month four might feel good and by hopefully by month six, I'm just loving it. I'm loving, I'm loving my fitness. I'm loving the fact I'm sleeping better. I'm loving my weight loss. I've made some new friends. But that's waiting for you in six months. It's not here now. And obviously, you know, there's a temptation to pick up the dopamine, quick fix stuff around food, sex, pornography, drugs, alcohol, gambling. These are all ways in which we can go, oh, I love quick fix, thank you. But that's not happy. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. not good change. That's, mm-hmm. that's immediate short-term buzz. And then that horrible disappointment of feeling, oh, well, it's over now. And with it, actually, have I made some poor choices? Have I, you know, have I, have I robbed a bank here? Yeah, have I, have, I, have I robbed a bank here to pay for some tweets? Have I overshot a little bit? Robbed the bank of your own contentment. That's what you've done, isn't it? <laughs> well, that's the, yeah. you know, and, you know, that horrible emptiness that sometimes that we feel, and I use food as this one as well. I work with a lot of clients, and food is a real comfort-seeking deflection from change in the reality of our lives and you know we're drifting towards the sort of topic of authenticity and bad faith here which you and I have talked about before but I I absolutely you know that feeling when we go to the cupboard and we eat the food and we feel good about the food and we go oh it's lovely I love cold pizza who doesn't I'm I'm not a cold pizza fan it's cold steak pie for me every time but I will go there and scoff it power it down Uh, then my partner will go all that pie's gone and I go yeah and I am in child. She's not angry at me. She's not eat steak pie. She's a vegetarian. But you know, I'm in ch- I'm in child when it is revealed that I've got to do the thing because I know I shouldn't have done, and I know that actually after a stressful day, a slice of that pie was a little bit comforting. Yeah. But some people absolutely go there and do that because that makes them feel good. Some people do any manner of comfort ways to make themselves feel good because actually it covers up 
the fact that the, the, the you know we're feeling inadequate, we're feeling vulnerable, we're feeling exposed, yeah. and, and an actual seismic, systemic, wholesome change which is predicated on long-term, sustainable happiness, mm. serotonin, not dopamine, is hard. Mm. It's bloody hard. It's miserable, and people may not come with us. And how many people, when a man stands up and says, "I'm going to, I'm going to get fit. I'm going to go running," you go, "Ah, idiot." How many people say, oh, I'm gonna, I feel rubbish, I feel horrible, I'm off to the pub. All right, yeah. I'll come with you. We get support for our dopamine fixes. We get absolute ridicule for a number of our long-term projects. You know? So true. It's, if yeah. you invite short-term pain, you get long-term pleasure. But if you invite short-term pleasure, you get a long-term yeah. pain. You know, if, if, if Noah had just said, it's raining, who wants to come to a pub rather I'm going to build an ark? Everyone would have gone to the pub rather than, what's that idiot building a big boat for? <laughs> Can I ask going to be hard? It's going to be hard, isn't it, Noah? Jesus. Sit down, it's simply, man. He's not going to get all them lions in either. It's, they're going to eat this. This, yeah. this is going to be laughed at, I would imagine, yeah. in about 2,000 years. But never mind, Noah. Off you go. I'd love to see uh, a lion on a lead, Noah. Fucking okay, <laughs> Tiger King. Tiger King number two. Yeah. Uh, so yeah it's long term sustainable changes we've got to believe in it and I think a lot of the time we put it out to the masses we put we put ideas out to the masses we're looking for other people's opinions and as we said before the horrible reality is that very few people are really interested in what we're doing that frees yeah. us up that's a, that's a freeing thing go do your thing just a quick one guys we have had two new counsellors join the team here at Mentality. If you are at a stage in life where you are struggling to manage your mind and it keeps affecting your happiness, it is time to do something about it. You can finally allow yourself the time to sit down with one of our Mentality counsellors who will understand what you are going through. They'll help you understand why you are struggling and they'll give you the tools to get back to being happy and the best that you can be. A lot of the time, we just need to clear up any unwanted thoughts and emotions so that we can show up in life the way that we want to. Mentality counselling is available in Yorkshire, Lancashire and the South East, including London. Sessions can be in person, face-to-face therapy or walking therapy. Alternatively, all counsellors can deliver sessions via Zoom. Go to mentality.co.uk forward slash counselling to start your journey. You know, as we're talking about all this stuff, and there's so many things that are coming to my head, I won't ramble on, but people-pleasing. You mentioned it a little bit ago, but people-pleasing. What is it? Why do we do it? And do we need to put an end to it if you are a people-pleaser? Is it okay to please people? Yeah, of course it is. You know, the divorce rate's already at 50%. If we don't push on, <laughs> no one's going to be happy. So in and of itself, in isolate, you know, this is about vulnerability. This is about understanding the people who are worth our time and effort. You know, we talk about the drama triangle and part of the drama triangle is the role of rescuer. You know, we, okay. we, we look external to connections, to situations where we can bring change, where we can look after people often sometimes where we can save people from themselves mm-hmm. there are reasons manifold while someone would put themselves in that role or find themselves in that role where they go you know i'll do anything you know and i hear this in therapy i'll do anything for anyone <laughs> go, oh really anything for mm-hmm. anyone wow 
we drop out lines like that willy-nilly and actually that just you know whilst it requires a little bit more digging to, to be qualified and often the client will go well not really actually yeah. it just sounds unbounded what we often do is we chase the wins that elude us the quick easy wins in life the quick easy people who want to be our friends want to connect with us that's all well and good but we're constantly searching that validation that top two inches the, the people who are out of reach the people who possibly treat us poorly the people who are ambivalent about us how much time do we waste on those people who really wouldn't give us the time of day? Mm-hmm. So we chase that. And that often comes down to our esteem. I talk a lot about attachment theory with clients, and it is quite a, a complex piece of work that was done by a guy called John Bowlby, you know, many years ago now. But the book is out there. It's very interesting. But he, he studied how children develop their attachments. I won't go too much into it, but there's, a lot, there's, there's about three or four different attachment styles. And we're looking to be as secure as possible. Ultimately, do we know our place in the world? Do we know our parental unit are there? Are we safe? Are we connected? Are we loved? Are we regarded? Are our parents coming back? How do we seek attention? Do we seek it positively through positive interactions and play and talk and communication? Do we derive it from negative behaviour? Do we seek to please people in order to get it back? And we start that in our first sort of six, seven, seven years on earth. That first block of 10 years where our... Our expressive communication is really quite poor, but our ability to perceive our world around us is absolutely heightened and necessary because we're so vulnerable. We absolutely derive our self-esteem from that period because whilst very few of us can remember direct lessons for our first six, seven years on earth, we were shaped during that period. We were. And so when you see people pleasing traits, so it goes. And, you know, it's almost an exact science, but, you know, not every client presents this way you will often find stories where people are compensating for a lot of the things that went on earlier you know absent parents ambiguous relationships often toxic connections with mum dad or siblings mm. and so we're going the thing that happened and, it, and it's, a, it's a form of trauma because you know not to throw that word around too much but the thing that happened was so bloody horrible i can't have that rejection happen again mm. so you know the brain in its infinite wisdom and my god it knows what to do creates an arbitrary style, well, not arbitrary, but a very, a very basic way in which we're going to go, right, everyone who comes into our life is going to get the charm offensive, is going to get the help, I'm going to overstretch myself, I'm, I'm going to try and please these people because the, the counterpoint to that, the diametrically opposing position is, you've rejected me, you've made me feel awful, I'm not enough, and it's shame, it's that horrible word again, it's the shaming, so we're, we, a lot of the times in extremist people pleasing is a way in which we preemptively hold off shame, and we say, no, 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 as long as I'm giving to you, and being of service to you, and being of use to you, you won't reject me. And, and what shame, I, is, that, is that feeling like we're wrong, or we're not worthy, or? Yeah, we're wrong, we're, we're wrong, we're not enough, we're not yeah. enough, and so our behaviour becomes compensatory, the fact is people don't want more than 50% of us. Mm. They don't, you know, good, healthy connections is where it is that symbiosis, as, they, as we say, it's where I give, you give, I give, you give. Martin, yeah. Martin Buber called it I and thou, you know, I see your humanity, you see mine. And, and we interact that way. What I am not doing is I'm not going to splinter your, you know, or, or scaffold or support your life in a way that overstretches me and you're not going to do that for me. We're going to be there for each other, but not, not for the exclusion of myself. And, and so when we do that, when we find ourselves overstretching, 
And often when we find ourselves asking friendships not to be what they are, I say all the time, when we ask a dog to be a cat, when we ask a dog to be a cat, we're essentially asking a certain relationship of a certain type to, to do something else. And when we do that, we often feel really rejected. But what we've done is we've subconsciously missed all the milestones. We've missed all the, the, the signposts. We've missed all the little indicators that tell us that relationship was never meant to be anything other than it is. You know, that sort of links back to what we were talking about before in terms of change and looking around you and seeing if people are supporting that change and if they're there for that other side that you're willing to delve into or to bring out more of. You know, it's that, it's almost when you're going through change, you're having to go through those parts of yourself which are sort of untapped or aren't yet understood by other people or yourself. It's like yeah. a transition through that as well, you know, and, and, and dealing with that part of yourself with other people as well, you know, like mm. you're changing and you're almost allowing more of yourself to be seen, which before is always protected by that people pleasing or by that fitting mm. in, if that makes sense. It makes complete sense, yeah. And, and we can't change unless we give up often toxic people-pleasing behaviours. We, we, we can't change because all we're doing is we're not meeting our value. Our value is like the mirror in our soul. Our system of values are like that mirror because it's the mirror which flatters not. When we overstretch and we people-please and we seek constant validation through these actions, we move further away from our value of self-esteem, of self-satisfaction, of, self, of self-regard because what we're doing is we're chasing someone else's and then we end up in a system of diminishing returns where the effort simply won't measure up to the amount that we get back because people cannot do that for us and it becomes an addictive behaviour. People pleasing is a dopamine, is a dopamine eliciting behaviour. We get a rush from making yeah. people happy. We absolutely mm-hmm. do. Ask a comedian when they walk off stage, or a good one, not a bad one. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that feeling of making people happy on a wholesome level is absolutely wonderful. It's when we're using making people happy or meeting people's need for us to survive. That's the problem. That's the real issue there. So what, what do you do? What's the work that you do then to bypass that people-pleasing safety mechanism? You know, what, what, what do you do there? Depends on the client. It depends on the circumstances. Yeah. Depends on the issue. You know, you know good person-centered humanistic therapy should be client-focused. And I said to you before, I have as many versions of therapy going on as I have clients at any one time because Mm -hmm. circumstances and needs should be heard, should be regarded, and we should move at a pace that absolutely suits them. But, you know, this is constantly about boundaries, not about shutting things down, but about boundaries. When we boundary, healthily boundary our life, what we do is we say, I want that, I don't want that. How far are we prepared to go? How much is overstretching? Are relationships that are in our life relationships that need to be removed? Are there relationships that need to be addressed? Are there relationships that need to slow down? Is my job something that I'm dragging around in complete bad faith? We've talked about bad faith before. You know, Martin Heidegger's talked about this. It's, it's basically the suppression of the obvious. The idea that I would turn up to work on a Monday morning and work five days a week, 35, 36, sometimes 40 hours a week, clock off on Friday and go, oh my God, I've just spent five days doing something I absolutely hate. And so many people think that's okay. Or it's just the way we should live. We we suppress the obviousness about our lives that this thing that we go and do is bloody miserable. And 
But that's been normalised as well. That's been shaped into normality as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you're stood there in you're stood in there in a country that absolutely does that, that gives absolutely so few working perks, you know, in terms of holiday, in terms of leave, in terms of sick leave, maternity leave. You know, go there, churn out, keep your mouth shut, be grateful. Yeah. So what yeah. we don't is we don't put our hand up and go, oh, by the way, actually. I'm fucked. I'm fucked. Show me another spreadsheet and I'll I'll put the pen in my eye. And I'm, mis- I'm miserable. I, I, I hate all my colleagues because they mirror the kind of misery that I'm experiencing. You know, I think it's Ricky Gervais who said, if you go to work on a Monday and you don't like it, it's your fault. It's your fault. And eventually it does become our fault. If we are going to entertain in bad faith the things that, we are doing to people, please, of the benefit other people and don't benefit us, then what we're going to do is we're going to suppress our, our healthy selfishness, which is that we have got to start prioritising our need for change, our need for development, our need for growth. You know, spirit of jazz, if it feels good, do it. If it don't feel good, stop dancing. It ain't your tune. Move on. And, and so I, I, I don't... Uh, it, it, it depends on the client. Absolutely depends on the client. Uh, you know, I wouldn't sort of drift in specifics of of psychotherapy here theoretically, simply because I don't want to bore people. <laughs> and once again, it's in theory. But absolutely, depending. Stop on the pleasing client. us, mate. Don't be boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but absolutely, um, it's about understanding those barriers to authenticity and and the possibility of removal. Because as you said, you know, before we start working on how we deal with people pleasing, we have to establish that it, that change is possible. False permanence, the false permanence of our lives, the idea that somehow our lives are not great and they'll never be. This indelible otherness that we have about ourselves as well, that we go, everyone's got it sorted out, but I'm fucked and I always will be. Yeah. We've got to start questioning that. And the first rule of therapy is that we will question that. We'll question that straight away. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that, that false certainty that, oh, this is just how I am. No, it's how you've become. Let's understand how we've become this, the things that have enacted uh, upon you, the things that have happened to circumstances beyond your control, your early life, your job, the fact that you're going to work on a Monday, coming home on a Friday, coming up for F, two days, going out drinking just to forget the fact that you weak with shit yeah. and starting the whole merry dance again on a Monday. That ain't no way to live, and it's certainly not the way that your 15, 16-year-old self expected your life to go. So you're dealing with a hell of a lot of unfulfillment, a hell of a lot of shame, and pretending that this thing is, is somehow palatable just because Keith and Accounts puts up with it. No, let's, <laughs> let's stop it, let's stop it, let's stop it. And so calling, bullshit, calling healthy yeah. bullshit on that and saying, it doesn't have to be this way, let's look at possibility. Mm-hmm. Client to client, you know, depending on what they need and actually what they come from, because I'm in service of the client as well as, you know, being authentic and being absolutely, you know, immediate and saying, I think this, to be quite honest, is really important. Yeah. John, that has been mega. We do feel like we have all the control in the world. We feel like we have a certainty that we are fucked or that we are doing (laughs) things wrong and that we can't do things better. I've felt that recently, mate. So it's very nice to hear that and to have it opened out and to um, question my own certainty with that as well. Um, we will have another merry dance at this, I'm sure. There's so many more questions. I thought we need to go deep into one thing at a time and I think that's the best way to do it, mate. So I think we'll do more of these. Yeah, um, let's do it you know as, as, a, as a form of therapy for ourselves but also for the other people too listening and um, I imagine 
listening to your mate the real deal is is something that that they might be interested in as well uh, as i very much am all the time so cheers my mate and uh, i'll see you on the next one cheers <laughs>